You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are delighted to have you join us for this historic celebration. We celebrate all who are gathered here, the Asbury community, students, faculty, and staff. We are honored by your presence. In keeping with the dignity of the ceremony, we do ask that you respectfully turn off your cell phones and your pagers, if we use pagers nowadays. (laughs) We express our gratitude to the Asbury University Brass Quintet under the direction of Assistant Professor of Music Nathan Miller and Professor Mark Schell for providing the beautiful music prelude for the processional of today's ceremony. We thank Dr. David J. Geiertsen, former president of Asbury University, for a reverent invocation. As we entered into worship, 50 flags were presented to honor the homelands of our current student body. In addition, student leaders carried objects representing the three symbols that appear on the university seal. They are central to our mission, the Bible, a torch, and the cross. The Holy Scriptures are the revealed Word of God. The flame stands for knowledge and the liberty that comes through seeking and knowing our Lord. The cross is a graphic reminder of Asbury's commitment to the person and the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. This morning, we want to worship God and ask the Lord for his blessing on this new chapter in the life of Asbury University. In each season of our history, God raised up uniquely gifted leaders to guide the school in fulfilling her mission. And today we ask God's blessing and empowerment on the inauguration of Kevin J. Brown. Dr. Brown, members of the Board of Trustees, distinguished members of the Platform Party, representatives from the Salvation Army, representatives from the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, representatives from the Christian College Consortium, representatives from the Association of Independent Kentucky Colleges and Universities, representatives of our sister colleges and universities from higher education, and civic leaders from Kentucky. We welcome you with great appreciation and great respect. We are truly honored to have four former Asbury presidents in attendance today. Dr. Sandra Gray, who served from 2007 to 2019, Dr. Paul Rader, who served from 2000 to 2006. Dr. David Geiertsen, who served from 1993 to 2000. And Dr. John Oswelt, who served from 1983 to 1986. University deans, faculty, alumni, staff, students, friends of the university, we welcome you with gratitude and care and a very special welcome a heartfelt welcome to Dr. Brown's family, Maria, Campbell, Ada, Oliver, and your beloved friends and family. We are pleased at this time to commence the inauguration of Asbury University's 18th president. Let us join together in a congregational hymn under the direction of Dr. Vicki Bell.
The work of a university president extends far beyond the borders of campus. Time is spent fostering connections with members of academic institutions across the country and across the world. Asbury is honored to collaborate with many august organizations committed to Christ and invested in higher education. Here to bring words of greeting for this auspicious occasion are representatives of organizations with whom Asbury is proud to associate. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podium Dr. Stan Gady, President of the Christian College Consortium, Dr. O.J. Oleka, President of the Association of Independent Colleges, Kentucky Colleges and Universities, and Colonel Kenneth O. Johnson, Jr., National Chief Secretary for the Salvation Army, USA. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, by the way, and that's the truth. I know that sitting here this morning, everyone expects to hear nice things, which we will, but today they are well-deserved because of this new president, to be sure, but also because of the rich history of this place and those who have come before. I grew up in California, knowing nothing about Kentucky other than the Kentucky Derby. Are you surprised? But so much has changed, and a big part of that is Asbury University. Graduates I encountered, colleagues in my discipline while at Vanderbilt and then Gordon and Westmont, and then most especially through the Christian College Consortium, of which Asbury has been a charter member since day one. That meant getting to know deans and provosts and presidents, of course, but it also allowed me to come to this campus quite frequently and to really see what has taken place. And it is, well, phenomenal. And of course, past presidents have had something to do with that. I'm thinking of Dr. Gray right now in particular, since we worked together for about 12 years. And again, the word phenomenal comes to mind. But one of the first things Sandy would say, along with Paul and David and those who came before, is that it wasn't just the presidents who made this school what it is today. It was a team, and not a team of rivals, but a team of leaders, faculty and staff, students and alumni, parents and supporters from within this community and around the world, people who came together and worked together to do what needed to be done. And it happened, and here we are today. Thanks be to God. And so, Dr. Brown, Congratulations on being chosen to be the next president of Asbury University. It is a high honor indeed and a great responsibility. And from everything I have heard, you are the right leader for such a task at such a time as this. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. My name is O.J. Oleka. I bring greetings from the Association of Independent Kentucky Colleges and Universities and the other 17 institutions, aside from Asbury, that we represent. With our institutions, it's an unknown fact, but we have the responsibility of educating many students who come from many different backgrounds, many of which are low-income students. My job and our job at the association is to advocate good public policy for all of our institutions and for all of those students and to help coordinate the partnerships to save costs so that universities and colleges can put that money back into students, faculty and staff, and also the community. 
Nowhere is that on better display than here at Asbury University. Asbury University has over 22,000 living alumni and has a 98% rate of employment or graduate pursuits as soon as you get out of college. So for you undergraduate students, you're in a good place. Asbury is critical for the workforce and educational development that our institutions in Kentucky needs overall. All of our 18 institutions total educate over 56,000 students, employ over 7,000 people, and generate over $700 million of economic activity all across Kentucky. Again, Asbury is a true leader in this regard and will continue to be under new president, Dr. Brown. To the Asbury community, I've had the chance to meet with Dr. Brown already. If you haven't had a chance to meet with him, I can say this is a good man. He has a great vision for your institution, and you are in a good place going forward. And to Dr. Brown, as president of IQ, I can say that we stand ready to continue this great relationship that we have with this institution, and we're excited to work with you and Asbury going forward. And more importantly, as your brother in Christ, I can say that I will pray for you, that I pray that God will guide you, that God will strengthen you, and God will comfort you as you lead this institution into the future. So good luck and congratulations. Well, first of all, we greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I cannot tell you what a joy it is for uh, us to be here today. Uh, being a former trustee's main kind of guy, it's great. Calm down, guys, okay? <laughs> to be back on the uh, campus at Asbury is just something special. And to see my, my empty seat up there uh, that I used to uh, come to chapel on. It's the commemorative Ken Johnson empty seat. What can you say? But it's also a a very special occasion for the Salvation Army to be here at this milestone moment when the Lord is going to open a new chapter here at Asbury. Uh, As we, uh, the Salvation Army, look back over our relationship with Asbury, we recognize that it's almost 100 years. It will be 100 years next year that the first Salvationist joined this campus as a student. And since that time, we're approaching a thousand Salvationists who have darkened the doors of this campus. Out of that, uh, out of that group, there have been three or four hundred Salvation Army territorial and divisional leaders. There have been three national commanders of the Salvation Army who have graced this campus. And yes, an international leader is a graduate of this place. You may call him Dr. Raider. We call him General Raider. <laughs> Salute, if you would, please. <laughs> to, uh, to, to look back on the impact that Asbury's had on the Salvation Army, you've got to understand that you strike at the very heart of our mission. It's all about serving others. During those days when Salvationists would arrive here and they would sit in the classrooms on this campus. They would prepare heart and mind and spirit for what the Lord was calling them to do. Over 400 Asbury graduates have become ordained ministers 
of the Salvation Army. They are officers within the Salvation Army. And so we would be remiss if we did not say a word of thank you to Asbury for what you have done for us. But hopefully in return, the Salvation Army has had an impact on Asbury as well. Yes, we recognize that uh, some of the buildings that grace this campus carry the name of Salvationists of old. We know that attached to this campus, there's a Salvation Army Student Fellowship that is very active. We know that there are a lot of graduates of Asbury who reflect upon the lessons they learned while ringing a Salvation Army bell when they signed up to uh, be a bell ringer over at the dining hall. I don't think we do that anymore, but I'm dating myself. That was years ago. And obviously, yes, having one of our own international leaders sit in the office of the president. Hopefully the Salvation Army has had had value added to what Asbury does here. And it's really because we have a common mission. It's all about others. Dr. Brown, if there was any word of encouragement that the Salvation Army would give you today, it would be that one word, others. It was the founder of the Salvation Army, General William Booth, back in the early 1900s when he wanted to send a message of encouragement to all of the missioners around the world. And it was rather expensive to send a wordy telegram during those days. So he thought, what can I say but yet give the message clearly? And it was that one word telegram, others. Upon the commissioning and ordination of every Salvation Army officer, they sign a covenant. And this is what that covenant says, that they will love and serve him, the Lord, supremely all the days of their lives and to live to win souls and make their salvation the first purpose of their lives. It's all about others and what Christ can do for them. Dr. Brown, would you mind coming and joining with me for just just a second? I know you're comfortable over there, but... Come and join me. Dr. Brown, we of the Salvation Army are confident that you have that same passion about serving others, serving these students, but the countless millions of people that they will serve throughout their lives. So we stand here today as the Salvation Army, reaffirming our support of this dynamic institution. But we also stand here affirming our support of you as its new president. Our prayer today is that you will make this issue of others the focus of your ministry, the reason for your ministry, the purpose of your ministry, and that's holding a cross and pointing other people to it. To commemorate this day, we would like to uh, share with you a a little plaque that you can hang in your window in your office. It's uh, made of uh, the Salvation Army colors. You probably can't see it out there. But it says in the middle of everything, it's all about others. Hang it in your window. Let the sun, S-U-N, shine through. But our challenge is to let the S-O-N sun shine through everything that you do. Here is the president of Asbury. May the Lord bless you.
Dr. Dr. Shirley Hoekstra, the President of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, sent along these words of greeting. The Council for Christian Colleges and Universities would like to formally congratulate you on your appointment as the 18th President of Asbury University. I cannot think of a better person to lead the charge. Your proven, God-given gifts and leadership style will bless the university, impact the community, and write the future of Asbury University. I am glad you are at the helm. I regret that I will not be able to attend your inauguration. However, know that I and the CCCU pray for you, and we are here to support you. Ephesians 2.10 For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Thanks be to God. It is my pleasure to introduce this morning's speaker, the Reverend Sky Jatani. Reverend Jatani is an award-winning author, a speaker, a consultant, a minister. He also serves as the co-host of the popular podcast, The Holy Post. There are some fans in the audience. It is a great uh, podcast. I would encourage you to, uh, to listen in. He's also the president of Measure the Clouds, a nonprofit organization helping, helping the post-Christian generation discover the ravishing vision of life with God. For over a decade, Sky also served in numerous editorial and executive roles at Christianity Today, and he continues to be a featured preacher on Christianity Today's Preaching Today. Reverend Jatani earned his undergraduate degree at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. He studied history and comparative religion with a special focus on Islam, but also studied Buddhism, Judaism, Judaism, and early Christianity. He earned his Master's of Divinity from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. Sky served for six years as a full-time pastor at the Wellspring Alliance Church in Wheaton, Illinois. 
And that is where my family and I had the pleasure of meeting Skye, his wife Amanda, and actually being with them as three of their, their three children were born. We knew them as babies. Joey, Isaac, and Lucy are their three children. Skye is a sought-after speaker. He speaks regularly at churches and conferences and colleges and retreats, both in the United States but also internationally. His ability to blend faith and culture have made him a popular speaker in both Christian colleges and universities, like our own Asbury University. He has spoken here in chapel. Also Wheaton College, Trinity, and others, but also on secular campuses such as Northwestern, and he has spoken at the U.S. Naval Academy as well. You will be interested to listen and listen closely to a man that is preaching the Word and helping people discover a ravishing vision of life with God. Help me in welcoming Reverend Sky Jatani. Thank you, Larry, or should I say Chairman Brown. <laughs> uh, I'm very grateful to be here. Thankful to the Board of Trustees, the Cabinet, Asbury's past presidents, the delegates and guests representing other schools and organizations and ministries, the faculty and students, of course, of Asbury. I enjoyed our conversation last night. And, of course, Dr. and Mrs. Brown for the great privilege of being able to speak to you and offer a word of challenge both to you and to all of us on this incredibly special day. Every community, like every family, needs story keepers, elders who remember the past and are able to frame current events in light of the past to provide both meaning and illumination. There are women and men here today, many of whom are on this platform, who are the story keepers of Asbury. They anchor you to the past and are able to frame today's inauguration in light of this school's great history and heritage. Being here today, however, I can't help but feel my status as a guest, partly because I chose not to wear regalia. It was an option for me today, and the reason I didn't is because last time I spoke at a university with the regalia on, I sweated so much that it was distracting for everybody, including myself. <laughs> Given the weather today, I think I made the wrong decision. <laughs> But though I am a guest and warmly welcomed and graciously received, I nonetheless am not a story keeper of Asbury. I cannot frame today's events in light of your rich history and heritage because it's one I haven't shared. So instead, I want to come to you as a guest and frame this event in light of a wider history, a history we all share, a story that belongs to all of us. Dr. Brown, I know, is very well aware of the challenges that he is facing as he steps into this incredible calling, challenges that are not merely for Asbury, not just for higher education, but challenges that we face as a people, as a nation, and certainly as followers of Christ. When Martin Luther stood before the Holy Roman Emperor in 1521, he declared, we are at the dawn of a new era. Lord Acton later referred to this moment as a hinge in history, a moment when the world changed and turned in a new direction. Is it too bold to believe that we are living through another hinge of history? Is it too presumptuous to believe that this era of change may well dwarf all the others that have preceded it? The hinge of history in the past has turned because of a transformative leader, 
because of unexpected events, a revolutionary idea, a natural disaster, or some combination of these things. What's different today are the sheer number of forces that are pushing upon the hinge and forcing us to rethink assumptions about the past and direction we will go for the future. Technology is fundamentally changing the social and even biological systems of our species. Globalization is making the world into a neighborhood, even as we struggle, in the words of Dr. King, to become a brotherhood. Pluralism is reconfiguring cultures into a kaleidoscope of humanity, even as it triggers a backlash of tribalism and nationalism. Secularization in the West is trying to keep pace with the spread of Christianity in the global South. The implications of climate change are being felt from the polar ice sheets to Wall Street. And we're seeing the emergence of a young activist generation, many of you, who want to go out into this world and heal its ills, even as your generation is facing unprecedented levels of mental illness itself. I could go on. The challenges are overwhelming, and any one of these would be formidable. But taken together, these forces aren't merely pushing on the hinge of history, but threatening to rend it from its frame altogether. And it's in the midst of this uncertainty, of these challenges, of this upheaval, that we turn our eyes to our institutions of Christian higher education and those who are called to lead them. They are the vanguard. They are the rocks upon which these forces of history are crashing first. And how Christian colleges and universities respond to these challenges, how they adapt to their call to make disciples of Jesus Christ, how they seek to manifest the kingdom of God in all of its glory and all of its permutations in our age may well determine the future of the American church altogether. So for that reason, I do not envy your calling. <laughs> it is a challenging one, Dr. Brown. It is not easy but the callings that matter most never are. If you find any encouragement today, I hope it's in this, that you are not entering into this challenge alone. The law of Christ calls us to bear one another's burdens. You who are on this platform and represent Asbury's past, you the story keepers, as well as you in the congregation who represent the story of Asbury that is still to be told, you all are called to help Dr. Brown carry this burden. That can take many forms, but one form it must absolutely take is prayer. Praying that he will receive the wisdom, the perseverance, and above all, the grace of God to face these challenges without fear and with the assurance that Christ is with him as surely as he is with us. But let me be clear. This responsibility, these historic challenges, do not fall to Dr. Brown alone. They do not even fall to the educators and leaders of higher ed alone because these challenges that we face today are not simply institutional in scope. They are generational. This burden and carrying it together means that we cannot be mere onlookers. We cannot just be cheering on those in the arena who are figuring out how to navigate through these torrential changes and upheaval of systems. It means that we can't just be encouraging our leaders while they fight these battles for us. We must enter into the action ourselves. This is a challenge not just for Dr. Brown, but for every one of us here today. The writer of Hebrews describes the saints who have gone before us as a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, watching us, cheering us on. 
But friends, we are not part of that cloud. We are not mere witnesses of history, at least not yet. In His divine wisdom, our Heavenly Father has chosen to place us, you and I, in this moment of history. He has put us on the stage at this pivotal generation, and it is not to be spectators. No, we are here for a reason. It is now our turn to put our hand on the hinge of history and turn the world with a power not of this world. With Dr. Brown, though, we must take up this call not because we believe we will be successful. We cannot know that. In a cosmic sense, of course, we have victory in Christ. But in the details of our time and our day, we don't know if we will be successful. And we do not take up this challenge because we believe that we possess in ourselves the power to bend history. We certainly do not. And even if we did, we would not have the wisdom to know which way it ought to turn. Victory over the forces at work in the world today is ultimately in God's hands. And the wisdom to direct history is coming from heaven's perspective and not earth's. So, Dr. Brown, I challenge you and I challenge all of us to take up this call, this burden, not with faith in ourselves, but with all faith in the one who has called us to it. Success is God's business. Obedience is ours. I'm reminded of John Adams' letter to his wife Abigail during the American Revolution. He said, We can't guarantee success in this war, but we can do something better. We can deserve it. In his words, I hear the echo of Paul's command to the Ephesians walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. For Adams, like Paul, victory was about virtue. Character was the ultimate measure of success. With this in mind, I want to highlight two virtues that we must possess as we enter into this time of dramatic change in the world. Things that we must exhibit if we are to engage our call in a manner worthy of our Lord and worthy of this moment in history into which he has placed us. The first virtue is that we must be a people of joy. In challenging times like these, it is natural to become nostalgic, to focus on the past, when things were easier, when they were simpler, when there was more shared understanding, when our faith was more dominant in the culture. Or in times like these, it can become tempting to fixate on the glorious future and the kingdom that is still to come. But we cannot travel to the past, nor can we fast forward to the future. And joy is only to be found, like our Lord, in the present. Christians who long to relive the past or who wish to fast forward to the future are in a way like Jonah in active disobedience by running away from God's calling to us today. By focusing on the past or the future, we are denying our calling to this present time and this place. And joy, as Jonah shows us, is never found by those who are running from the calling of the Lord. For that reason, we Christians ought to be the very last people to complain about the world and its current circumstances. Because as challenging as they are, they are the circumstances in which God has called us to discover joy. And we ought to be the very last to be consumed by anger and outrage, as if somehow what is happening in the world is what we do not deserve. 
these obstacles before us, we didn't choose. We did not choose to be born to this generation, to this hinge of history. Many of us did not choose to occupy this culture and this place. But here is the secret we must understand. The secret to true joy is learning to choose what we did not choose. It means learning to see the image of our Creator in the face of that neighbor that we never would have chosen for ourselves. It means learning to believe and choose to believe that we will discover fellowship with Christ Himself as we step into the challenges of our age that we would not choose for ourselves. So as we put our hand to the hinge of history, let us do it with joy rather than anger, knowing that God is there with us and desires to fellowship with us in the midst of these times. Second, we must become a people of kindness. It's a rare and precious virtue today, and that should not surprise us. Fear is the enemy of kindness. The great challenges occurring today are making many people, including many Christians, terribly afraid. Aquinas said that fear was a contracting posture of the soul, that it makes us turn inward, and in fear we can only fixate upon ourselves, our welfare, our survival. Fear makes us ultimately indifferent to the needs of others and incapable of empathy. But we have not been given a spirit of fear. We have been given a spirit of freedom and power. We have been set free from the self-absorption that shackles our culture, and in that freedom we have been given the divine capacity to give, to love, to serve, to bless, and to sacrifice for the sake of others in a way that the world will find inexplicable. As I travel around the country, I see a lot of fear Fear within communities, fear within churches, fear within organizations, and yes, even within colleges and universities. And that fear can make us focused, obsessed with our own self-preservation. It can lead us to justify all kinds of ungodly attitudes and behaviors, all in the name of uh, perpetuating our institutions, in our way of life at all costs. And when we fall into that trap, into that contraction of the soul, it so easily allows meanness to eclipse kindness. And we invert the Christian virtues to look like the world rather than the kingdom of God. May that not be true of us. The kindness of Christ reminds us that we are not fighting against our non-Christian neighbors, but for them. And we're not called to seek our interests or even the interests of our institutions, but the interests of others and that of the world that Christ has come to save. And like our Lord, we are not here to be served, but to serve. And to give ourselves, and if necessary, yes, to give up even our institutions for the sake of the world. So my great hope for Asbury and for you, Dr. Brown, as you step into this role and my hope, frankly, for Christians throughout our land is that you would become a beacon of service rather than self-interest. And that this would be a community of inexplicable kindness rather than outrage. Dr. Brown, faculty and students of Asbury, my fellow guests, 
the challenges before us are great, even unprecedented, and as we step into them, there will be many tears to shed, many challenges to face, many difficult decisions to make, but I am confident of this. Fear and anger will be no help to us. So let us put these instruments of our age and those who wield them aside and instead take up the virtues of our joyful Christ and his kingdom of kindness. Dr. Brown, as you put your hand to the hinge of history, I hope you remember that you are not alone. The hands of Asbury's past and the hands of Asbury's future are with you. And as we push together, filled with the joy of the Lord and with kindness toward all, we are eager to enter this new era with you and to see a new dawning of grace, not just here at Asbury, but throughout our land. May we together walk in a manner worthy of so great a call. Let's turn our attention now to the investiture of Dr. Brown, but as we do, I would like you to think through this with me. Since the founding of of Asbury University in 1890, uh, we have been committed to the dual purpose of academic excellence and spiritual vitality. The university is anchored in our commitment to Jesus Christ and our commitment to offer a Christ-centered liberal arts education designed to promote the development of the whole person. Throughout our 130-year history, God has been faithful, as Dr. Geiertsen mentioned earlier, has been faithful to raise up leaders whose gifting and talents have been very well suited for just what the university needed at that point in time. And so as the search for the 18th president of Asbury University began, we gathered and we thought, what are the attributes that we are looking for? And you know the end of the story of who was selected. But let me list, and you think about that. Think about Dr. Brown as I list out the attributes that we had in mind. We were looking for a person who has an abiding faith in Jesus Christ and a person of prayer who bears the fruit of the Spirit, one who embodies a penetrating moral vision that is a critical aspect of the Christian Wesleyan holiness identity of this university, one who possesses an authentic, transparent, and accessible leadership style and is a champion of Christian liberal arts education, an individual who can effectively communicate across all aspects of the university and understands the current trends in higher education. On a personal basis, we wanted a person who has a winsome spirit, strong interpersonal skills, and a willingness to listen. Dr. Brown, Mrs. Brown, if you would join me. After much prayer, much prayer, supported by this community, after much prayer and a rigorous nationwide, in fact, international search, considering the attributes that I just listed, the Lord led us to Dr. Kevin J. Brown, and he was elected the 18th president of Asbury University. On behalf of the Board of Trustees, we are so delighted that you, Dr. Brown and Mrs. Brown, have accepted this new role in this place and the new responsibilities that come with it. 
And so on behalf of the Board of Trustees, we today, we today publicly affirm our confidence in you, your leadership as president, your, your administrative team, the faculty, the staff, and the student body of Asbury University. Congratulations and welcome. There are a few questions, though, yet to be answered. I think I know the answer to these questions, and if I'm wrong, it's a great surprise for all of us. <laughs> but Dr. Brown, I'll direct these to you, and I'll read them to make sure that I get them right, but with regards to your intentions. Do you promise to uphold the mission of Asbury University, leading this institution according to biblical principles in God's holy word? By God's help, I will. Do you promise to encourage an atmosphere of academic pursuit and intellectual endeavor that will challenge and motivate students to reach their full God-given potential? By God's help, I do. Do you promise to nurture and develop the Asbury University family of alumni and parents and friends? By God's help, I do. Do you promise to follow the principles of wise stewardship which will enable the university to remain on a solid financial foundation? By God's help, I do. And do you promise to lead this institution in ways that will continue its position as an exemplary national institution of Christian higher education? By God's help, I do. As chairman of the Board of Trustees of Asbury University, I confer upon you the rights, privileges, and responsibilities as president of Asbury University. Congratulations. We're now going to have Dr. and Mrs. Brown kneel at the, uh, the kneeler here. The former presidents and the other members of the platform program uh, will come and lay hands around them. And Dr. Timothy Tennant, president of Asbury Theological Seminary, will come and lead us in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank and praise you for your abundant and gracious faithfulness over the 130-year history of Asbury University. From humble beginnings as the Kentucky Holiness College to Asbury College to Asbury University, you have raised up this institution for your glory and your purposes. In obedience to the Word of God, we lay hands on and pray for your servant, Dr. Kevin Brown, who this day is being formally installed as the 18th president of Asbury University. We stand here on this historic day, acknowledging those who have tread this path, borne this mantle, and served this community. Men and women like John Wesley Hughes, Henry Clay Morrison, Zach Johnson, Dennis Kenlaw, John Oswald, David Gardson, Paul Rader, and Sandra Gray, to name just a few of the 18 men and women who have served this great vision known as Asbury University. We pray for your Holy Spirit anointing and blessing on Dr. Kevin Brown and his life and ministry. May this be a fruitful and blessed season for the university. Enliven Kevin's heart and mind with your Holy Spirit that he would be a blessing to this institution. 
In your providence and perfect timing, this is taking place during the year we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Asbury Revival. Lord, we welcome you afresh in this place and in this life and in this calling. We pray that holiness and prayerfulness would be the daily signs of Kevin's character and interaction with everyone he meets. Despite the daily demands of this work, may he never fail to seek your face and grant him the virtues of joy and kindness. When he faces hills too steep to climb, doors too closed to be opened, or possibilities too lofty for consideration, may you be the God who carries him and goes before him. We pray for boldness and courage as Dr. Brown stands to protect the mission and ethos of Asbury University. May he have the broken heart of Jeremiah, the boldness of Zechariah, and the expansive vision of Isaiah. May his moorings be deeply grounded in biblical fidelity, missional clarity, and ethical purity. We pray for wisdom and discernment as each day Dr. Brown makes decisions on behalf of this institution. May he be granted that special discernment which is needed to understand the implications and trajectories of what is before him. And we pray for encouragement along the journey. A note here, a text message there, a kind word when he needs it the most. Raise up a host of prayer warriors who will stand with him. And we pray that Kevin would fall in love with this place over and over again. May he be regularly reminded of the global witness of this institution. And finally, Lord, may you particularly bless those closest to Kevin who will be walking with him through this journey. Bless Maria and bless their dear children, Campbell, Ada, and Oliver. May their family unit be an icon of faithfulness and joy in the journey as they walk together in answering this sacred calling. And may your own covenant love surround them all. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I can be found every once in a while playing intramural basketball with our students, and I was, couldn't help but wonder if I wear this medallion, if I might get some more favorable officiating during those games. <laughs> it is a significant honor to stand before you today. I don't think I can emphasize that enough, and if I do, I'll burst into tears. Uh, I have very close family and friends to this side, so I'm going to keep my attention straightforward. I'm also aware of the time. I heard a pastor say once that the mind can only retain what the bottom can endure. So please know that I am aware of an extended chapel and will honor that. You've heard it said earlier today that Asbury University has a story. I think that's true. I want to talk to you for a moment about our next chapter. Specifically, I want to speak to two independent but overlapping forces that have come to mark the time that we find ourselves in, change and speed. Now, the former is hardly anything new. Every society experiences change, but it is the speed of that change that is new within this moment. And let me just quickly sketch why that is. Technology as Reverend Jatani mentioned, has infiltrated every dimension of our society. And as many of you know, technology grows exponentially. Hockey stick-shaped curve. 
Uh, That means it grows at a constant rate and not an additive rate. And moreover, information is embedded within our technology. And this has accelerated nearly every aspect of our humanity. So what does this acceleration look like, and what are its consequences? We're now told that 85% of the jobs that will exist in 2030 do not exist today in 2020. A stat I've shared often is that our graduates today, this May, on average are expected to hold 19 jobs between their graduation and when they retire. You've heard of the various forecasts about automation and artificial intelligence. Some are disruptive, some are apocalyptic in their character. Regardless, we know that technological advancement and its meteoric growth will be disruptive in ways that we cannot easily predict. For example, artificial intelligence can now make computational uh, or mathematical computations at the speed of light. That's over 180,000 miles a second. And not only can AI solve fast, it can learn fast. What took artificial intelligence about 10 days to learn two years ago now takes less than three minutes. Speed. We exist in what's been described as the information or digital age, where information is now ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's freely available. It's freely accessible. And here's one of the relevant takeaways from this fact. It means that as an educational institution, we are no longer gatekeepers of information. And if we think that our job is simply to be purveyors of information, we're already irrelevant. We no longer exist in what is described as a manufacturing economy. Some economists say that we're in a service or a creativity economy. We're also in an attention economy where various outlets compete for our eyeballs and our time and our clicks. And who wins in that marketplace? Social scientists tell us that emotionally evocative information gets more internet clicks than calmer measured tones do. We know there's a decreasing interest in facts and a greater sensitivity to what is trending. One commentator put it like this, there's no longer right or wrong, there's only what is expeditious. Now, let me be very clear, I'm not standing on a platform today to lament some of these changes. I think there are some exciting things that can be harnessed within this. But I do think it is worthy of our time to recognize some of the paradoxes of an information age, an age of speed. First is that we have more information than any other time available to us in human history, and yet we're less enlightened. We are more connected than we've ever been before, but there's less relationship. We have more choices than we've ever had before, but there's less freedom. Because after all, we're told that freedom is simply the expansion of our choices. There's more diversity than we've ever had before, and yet there's less open-mindedness because advanced algorithms shepherd us into the echo chambers that best scratch our ideological itch, whatever the nature of that itch may be. We have more input, but there's less retention. More experts, but less assurance and free access, though there is a greater cost. So as an educational institution, 
existing in this moment, I think it's appropriate to ask, in an age of dynamic, rapid change, what does endure? What is timeless? What is perennial? What are the competencies necessary to thrive in such an environment like this? What does maturation and preparation look like in an age of speed? And what is the moral gravity that grounds and stabilizes us in the swirl of changing norms and values? Specifically, what does Asbury's mission, academic excellence, and spiritual vitality look like in this world? Let me speak to that a bit. Academic excellence today is rigorous, relevant 21st century education that uniquely equips our students with the requisite skills to navigate the complexities of an ever-changing, unpredictable global marketplace. I can't tell you, I can't read the tea leaves on what 2030 and 40 and 50 will be like. But we can define and identify the perennial skills that will outlive the dynamism of rapid technological innovation. Students today who are great storytellers, critical thinkers, problem solvers, who know how to collaborate with one another, who know how to communicate across lines, people with sound judgment and decision-making, people who are reflective, introspective, and contemplative, people of service, people of character, of virtue, people who have humility. These qualities outlast fads, and they outlive speed. They are an anchor of relevance in what is a sea of change. They endure. That's academic excellence. But what is spiritual vitality? We're an educational institution. We are chartered as an educational institution. But that education solely does not exist to prepare our students for an ever-changing workforce. In fact, a more classical understanding of education related to what we love, getting pupils to want what they ought Not just what they know and knowing the right things, but that they would actually love the right things. Why? Because lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi, the ancient maxim, what we worship leads to what we believe, leads to what we live. You see, what we what we worship, what we aim, what we orient our lives towards is intricately tied to what we become. Not just information, but knowledge. Not just knowledge, but wisdom. Not just wisdom, but agents. Not just agents, but members. Not just members, but glorifiers. Letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Glorifiers cast light. What we become is tied to our cause our convictions, our purpose, our service to others, our promotion and creation of all that is good and right and true, bringing truth to falsity, hope to the hopeless, joy to the desperate, justice to those who are wrong, health to those who are sick, provisions to those who are in need, encouragement to those who are downtrodden. We have a metaphor for this. It's light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I've used a phrase many, many times, including from this pulpit, by the evangelist Gypsy Smith. He said there are five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. 
and most people will never read the first four. Our cause is the fifth gospel. This, this education is not just to know, but it's to love. And can I say, it's to live. The formation of the full person, the complete all-around life. I've had the opportunity to travel with Dr. Troyer, and we speak to constituents and stakeholders, and I try to get across what is this formative process of covenant community that we talk about. And I have a few fancy words that I can use. They might show up in a brochure, but I'll tell you this from this platform. The best description I can think of comes from G.K. Chesterton. He has a poem. It's called The Convert, and the final stanza says this. The sages, the smart people, they have their hundred maps to give that trace their crawling cosmos like a tree. They rattle out reason through many a sieve that stores the sand and lets the gold go free. And all these things are less than dust to me because my name is Lazarus and I live. The greatest educational outcome for our students in this community is not to say, I know. It's also to say, I have an aim. It's to say, I have a cause. It's to say, I have become. It's to say, I live. About a month ago, Asbury celebrated its 50th anniversary of our famous 1970 revival. To commemorate this time, we had lovely services of remembrance and appreciation, celebration of our spiritual heritage. We have a past worth celebrating here. But on this day, I want to aim our excitement toward our future. We'll still have majors, of course, and those majors will have rigor. But it's not just about the major. And we'll still have credentials, and those credentials will have rigor. But it's not simply about the credential. The point is, who does the student become? Becoming. Our skills, our competencies, our capacities, virtue, our sensibilities. I'm not in the business of predicting the future, as I said, but I do know that our students will be relevant to that time and that environment, whatever its character may be. I want to offer a more personal statement as the president. We've had a lot of difficult discussions within our community this week. Um, I've not had a lot of rest. (laughs) I've had a lot of contemplation I've had a lot of tears, too, a lot of discussion, discussions I'm eager to have, and I've drank a lot of coffee. There's nothing new there. Out of this difficulty and dialogue and discussion, uh, I see some subtle yet distinct questions emerge. What kind of president is Asbury going to have? What kind of school are we going to be? Who am I? Let me say to you definitively this morning that if at an inauguration the wider world turns its glance, albeit for a moment, towards us, I think this is what I would like to capture. I'm a follower of Christ.
and to the utter best of my capacity, we will seek to be an intentional, moral, and intellectual community that honors that name. We are going to cultivate the mind in rigorous, God-honoring ways. There's a tremendous faculty right behind me who are committed to that very thing. We're going to love everyone the way Jesus loved others. We're going to aim and orient our lives towards all that is good and right and true because what we worship, we become. What are we worshiping? We think of that carefully. And as an intentional covenant community, we are going to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, singular, holy and pleasing unto God because this is our spiritual act of worship. Holiness unto the Lord. We will achieve academic excellence by teaching enduring qualities, those skills, competencies, capacities, and sensibilities that are perennial, ever necessary, and immune to the changes that I've described. And we will achieve spiritual vitality by holding to our timeless values, the traditions that hold and mold and guide and govern us to the fulfillment of human purpose. The modalities and the methods by which we fulfill our mission will change. Education that makes you relevant and ready for key spheres of society. The mission does not change. This is our future. This is the next chapter of Asbury's story. It is an exciting time to be an Asburyan. Thank you.